Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. It's early morning and I'm driving north along a dusty road from the town of Garissa in northeastern Kenya. The road follows the Tana River, but you can't tell it. All around there's nothing but desert and thorny shrubs and a small scattering of tin-roofed homes. Also hidden from the road is the reason why I'm here. Plunked in the middle of the desert 14 kilometers from the center of Garissa is the largest grid-connected solar power plant in eastern Central Africa launched in December 2019. When the president officially opened the site in 2020, we were promised that every household will be provided with solar-powered electricity. But so far, this has not happened. Even as elders, we are not benefiting. Women are not getting anything and our community gets nothing. If they would have helped us with pumping machines, it would have been easier. This machine uses fuel. Five liters we are buying at 1,000 shillings in Garissa town. After every five days, you buy it again. So in a week, I use 2,000 shillings. So by the end of the month, it is very expensive. If this machine ran on electricity, it will not have cost as much. That was Momin Gedi, an elder from the village of Raya, right next to the power plant. Raya is not connected to Kenya's national grid. To farm in this drought-ridden area, Gedi and his fellow villagers rely on an old diesel pump which sucks up water from the Tana River to irrigate crops and grow food for their animals. The Raya residents say they gave up 85 hectares, that is about 210 acres of their land, to make way for the power plant, but I've seen so far few benefits in return. So, who is benefiting? What's the bigger picture? These are the things I want to explore in this second episode of our two-part series on just transition made by Africa Climate Conversations in collaboration with China Dialogue. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. He said, When the site was starting, we cooperated with local leaders, chiefs and members of the county assemblies. All of us gave out this land in 2012. At that time, we were promised water, schools, electricity, and many other benefits that we would get from the land. Abdi tells me none of these promises have so far been fulfilled. I had hoped to talk to someone with a job at the plant, but the elder tells me there is no one like that in Raya. Most of the projects have not been concluded. School was built up to class five, no compensation for their land. There are some of our plots with power transmission lines, 16 poles from the, from the sites. These plots were ours. When Rerek came, they told us we will get compensation, but we have not paid. We have not been paid. Therefore, we have problems here. The land that we used to graze our livestock was taken over by the government. Even those cows that is being driven towards here are mine. I have planted Sudan grasses for them. This farm is mine. And the bananas across the fence belongs to another old man because we don't have any other place to graze our Just like Gedi, 
Mother of five, Ilgeo Hassan sat on the committee formed to represent the community's interests in negotiations with the Rural Electrification and Renewable Energy Corporation, RERIC, a state corporation that implements rural electrification projects and renewable energy drives in Kenya. When these people came, we were displaced, and after the government took over this land as women, we have not benefited. We were promised jobs such as cooking and cleaning, but nothing. Proposed a lot of projects such as bringing in teachers and nurses for health centers and connecting our houses with electricity. But none of this has happened. Since I was among the board member committee representing this community's interest, after they settled, the committee was disbanded. Our efforts to reach Relic to understand why these promises were not achieved hit a wall when the organization wouldn't respond. Covering 85 hectares, the plant is a vast sea of glimmering solar panels set out in uniform lines. It is an impressive piece of infrastructure, but also inharmonious out here in one of the Kenya's poorest counties. The project was funded by a 136 million US dollar loan from the Export-Import Bank of China, a relatively small amount compared to the 1.5 billion US dollars sprung by the bank for phase two of the standard gauge railway we talked about last time. With a capacity of 55 megawatts, the plant is also relatively small, especially when you compare it to something like the proposed Lamo coal power plant, which had a plant capacity of over 1,000 megawatts, and Garissa, as Kenya's first and still only major solar power plant, can be seen as a step towards the country's goal of 100% renewable energy by 2030. Sylvester Makaka, a senior energy advisor at the Kenya Association of Manufacturers, says Kenya sitting across the equator, the country is potentially on a high solar irrigation zone. He estimates that Kenya could be getting 500 kilowatts hour per square meter per year. Here is Makaka telling us more about the Garissa Solar Power Project and why it was built. Garissa Solar Power Plant has two elements to look into. One is the first largest uh, grid tied commercial solar project to happen in Kenya. Through that, uh, it opened the solar space for Kenya now for commercial investment to come in. Why 50 megawatts are not 100? 50 megawatts was uh, an entry level because it was then what the grid could support at that point in time. We thought that we could test the grid with 50 megawatts. You see, solar by nature is an intermittent source of energy because of cloud cover and all that that comes with solar. So when you talk of uh, 100%, it's 100% given the conditions of solar. What we consider 100% is not 50 megawatts over 24 hours, it's 100 megawatts over a period of 6 hours or so. It is supported by the grid. The grid must be there for the solar plant to operate fully because it doesn't have battery support. For that reason, it depends on the grid for it to feed into the grid. So everything is connected through the grid. Kenya's energy mix predominantly consists of green energy with geothermal, hydro, wind and solar, accounting for roughly 81% energy generation. In 2018, the then Kenyan president, Uhuru Kenyatta, set out an ambitious target for the country to go from 70% to 100% fully green by 2020. Today, with the Kenya's grid powered by about 90% renewables, his successor, President William Ruto, aimed for the country to fully go green by 2030. For Garissa, the town was connected to the national grid in 2016, but residents still suffer frequent blackouts. 
Elizabeth Njoki owns an eatery and fresh food stall. Previously, Njoki used a diesel-powered generator to reliably run her three refrigerators. Today, this has changed as she has access to electricity from the national grid. Electricity is very important for us, especially in my business, because I have many things to preserve using appliances, such as warmers and refrigerators. So it's very important in hotels. When there's a blackout, it affects us a lot as it makes the business go down. Even in the kitchen, we are forced to serve our customers with cold food. But we are no longer experiencing power outages like we did before. Sometimes we'd be without electricity for three days in a week. With a reliable supply of electricity from the grid, Njoki's business has become more productive and her losses from wasted food have decreased. But she tells me she's now worried about how expensive her electricity bills have become. Na lakini siku hizi utakuta hata inaweza enda wiki nzima bila kupotea. You find that we have power in the week without blackouts and when the power goes it won't take long. Just a few hours and the power is back. Power bills has gone up a lot sometimes you are unable to pay. There was a time I used to pay 150 US dollars but now they can be up to 250 US dollars. We haven't added any appliance. Utakuta inafika 20 hata 25. Sure, Njoki's concerns are true. Despite the mega solar project feeding into the grid, the cost of electricity has skyrocketed, with the Kenya Power and Lighting Company warning of tariffs getting higher in the near future. Also due to old poor infrastructure, Kenya loses about 20% of the total power generated. Makaka says with a persistent drought in the Horn of Africa, hydro is no longer reliable. Is it the only thing driving the cost of electricity in Kenya? And as the country aims to go 100% renewables, what are the balances of power should the country consider? There are two ways of looking at it. One is the installed capacity, and the other one is the required energy at any one time. Because we could have, like today we are talking of 3,000 plus megawatts of installed capacity connected to the grid, of which... 240 is solar and of course uh, the 400 is wind that leaves hydros at around 845 megawatts geothermal has just crossed i think 900 so when you look at the generation capacity then you see that renewables is really big in terms of the absolute numbers but when you look at energy energy means what do you need at any one time We have our peak between 6 o'clock, 18 hours in the evening to around 22 hours in the night. So at that point in time, you realize there isn't much wind and there isn't solar. So we already have 400 plus 250, 600 off the grid because solar is not there and wind is not strong. So then at that point in time, if you need that energy, you have to get it from some alternative source. And that's the part that uh, the petrothermals are playing to cover that gap. That gap is critical because you need it at peak hour, wind is not available and solar is not available. So you need something to kick in very quickly and that's the role that the petrothermals are taking up. Now, talking of geothermal, geothermal is concentrated within the Rift Valley around Naivasha. And that means that you need to evacuate this power to other parts of the country. And that means it's 500 kilometers or so from 
Mombasa and the coastal region. So the coastal regions then suffer when you have to wheel all that power to the coast. And that is a question of how then will the system respond and it affects on the efficiency. So it's a balance of many things to get the energy correct. And that is now what the grid managers are grappling with to balance the grid, especially with 600 or so capacity of renewables that are intermittent. And then now for this period in particular, we are in a drought season. And during drought season, our dam levels at Masinga, the first dam, have reached the lowest points so far. And lowest point means that you need to shut off Masinga because it won't be generating and try to survive and control downstream power stations. So as reliable as it may be, but hydro becomes climate uh, sensitive. When there is a drought, hydro does not then play its, its role in the energy mix. Or if it has to play its role in the energy mix, you are regulating on how much you can generate from hydro. As a matter of fact, last year, I think our contribution from hydros could just be around 22% in the energy terms. And that leaves now geothermal as our main source of energy, contributing up to or above 45%. So when we say that we are going 100% green, those factors come in. You cannot be 100% green until you have emergency standby quick kick-in power plants that will take up when we lose 600 megawatts of wind and solar and when now the drought comes in. Garissa was not only fully financed by China, it was also built by a Chinese company, the Jianxi Corporation for International Economic and Technical Cooperation. Why a Chinese company? Under Article 10 of the Paris Agreement, Parties share a long-term vision on the importance of fully realizing technology development and transfer in order to improve resilience to climate change and to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. As Africa grows, aiming to reduce its energy poverty, how can Kenya and other African countries encourage more solar production in the region as well as south-south energy technology transfer? I asked Makaka. China currently uh, has positioned itself as a global hub for manufacturing. So anybody telling you that uh, solar panels are being manufactured elsewhere will be saying a lie. So because China benefits from the scale of manufacturing and of course uh, labor is still relatively cheap. For those who have tried to manufacture in Africa and I know in South Africa have tried to do manufacturing of solar panels and uh, Kenya there was some attempt to start manufacturing in Naivasha of solar panels but then the cost factor because of of course the labor and the scale of manufacturing pushed them out of the market or is likely to push African manufacturing out of the market. So what is then the incentive to transfer technology into Africa? It means that Africa as an economic block must start consuming from their own so that the scale of manufacturing then is big enough to spur a high level or volume production in Africa. Before that happens, the scale numbers in China will always make the pricing in China come low. So what is happening then is that uh, when you import from China and you load on taxes and all that, you are still uh, making business sense in Kenya or in Africa on these technologies. So what is happening now is that uh, we have established, and I'm talking about Kenya, training facilities that will then transfer the knowledge and know-how 
on uh, the use, manufacturing, and quality control for solar products. And of course, these solar products are wide. You're starting from batteries, deep cycle batteries. We are looking at the solar panels and we are looking at the cables. When you put all these combined, and then you realize that it is not something that is going to happen tomorrow. But what will be the game changer is, in this is when Africa is in a position to manufacture on a large scale, one, and two, that Africa decides to buy from its own manufacturers. For patriotism, so that then whoever is manufacturing in China or elsewhere in the world can see sense of manufacturing in Africa because the market will have developed and it's big enough. Of course, Africa is still the best continent to harness and convert solar into electricity and have it distributed elsewhere in Africa or elsewhere in the world. Why that is not happening, it's not a question of technology transfer, it's a question of economics. Does the economics make sense? I think that the economic value of what solar poses to Africa is debatable, but I think it will happen sooner or later because Africa is the best continent to tap and harness solar. The Garissa power plant is not the only part of Kenya's plan to generate 100% of its energy from renewable sources by 2030. It's also part of a big drive to supply all Kenyan households with electricity. This is being done both via the national grid, at least 75% of Kenya's households are already connected, and also via decentralized systems. The decentralized system method is perhaps best suited to those areas that suffer most from energy poverty. Isolated and sparsely populated regions like Garissa County, solar-powered mini-grids make much more economic sense than the massive investment it would take to connect many rural area communities to the grid. All these big government-backed schemes are taking place against the backdrop of a thriving private sector, with more and more households and businesses investing in their own solar power systems. Andrew Amandi, the CEO of the Kenya Renewable Energy Association, explains the attraction of these systems. Today, the biggest advantage that is driving renewable energy is the cost. Cost is, has been coming down. And then once you pay for it, that is it. You're not paying another cost again. The biggest demand for electricity, solar, is not people who don't have electricity. It is people who are connected to electricity. That is who they are selling the most solar home systems. Uh, domestic uh, use is to people who are connected to the grid already. It is inevitable that people will generate their own power. So that is where the government now came up with a captive power policy so that it can guide how people generate their own electricity. And what is making this self-generation possible, or what is the difference, is that it is now based on renewable energy and it is cheaper, the current option. That's the incentive. Otherwise, generators are there, but no one wants to invest in a generator because it's more expensive than Kenya Power. I would rather use Kenya Power than the generator. But now the renewable energy power generator systems are cheaper. So I'd rather run this one that is cheaper than use the expensive one. So that is what is driving the growth. And this is directed to people who are using it for income generation.
The boost being given to businesses by home-based solar power generation is something we found in Garissa town, although Njoki is clear-eyed about the limitation. The only alternative I have is solar, but these can't power the appliances like fridge. It's just for lightning in the night. But the only thing I would like them to look into is payment, especially this time when the cost of living is high. You find some people get disconnected because they are unable to pay. You are struggling so at least they could reduce it for us. Nevertheless, Abandi sees great potential for solar in Kenya. People will discover that the cheapest energy for manufacturing is electricity enough. And we anticipate, we actually want to push for industries to move and take advantage of that advantage that the, it is cheapest to use electricity in Africa. So bring your production to Africa at the lowest cost. That happens, that can be our way of responding to how we can address this climate issue in terms of climate change. Because we are the ones who are suffering the consequences. They are the ones who are responsible. So if there are things that we can make here using solar cheaper than they can do their coal, then we say, let us go 50-50 and we cut down emissions and we also improve the livelihoods of our people. Even our people want the things that your people have. They go for the things that your people have gone for and they pollute like you do. Then nobody in this world stands a chance against uh, reducing or mitigating this climate action. Africa is holding the keys. So Africa also needs to benefit in a substantial way. The impacts from climate change that Amadi is talking about are especially clear in a place like Garissa. The rain have failed four years in a row now here, leading to the worst drought in 40 years. The Kenyan government estimates about 4.5 million people in the northern Kenya and eastern region of the country now face the threat of starvation and are in need of humanitarian support. Poverty increases the impact climate disasters like this can have. To make Kenyans more resilient, Amadi argues that reducing poverty should be a key policy focus. And just like the government, he believes that access to electricity has a key role to play in this. People will discover that the cheapest energy for manufacturing is electricity in Africa. And we anticipate, we actually want to push for industries to move and take advantage of that advantage that the it is cheapest to use electricity in Africa. So bring your production to Africa at the lowest cost. Mm. And if that happens, that can be our way of responding to how we can address this climate issue in terms of climate justice. Yeah. Because we are the ones who are suffering the consequences. Mm -hmm. They are the ones who are responsible. So if there are things that we can make here using solar cheaper, than they can do their coal, then we say, let us go 50-50 and we cut down emissions and we also improve the livelihoods of our people. Even our people want the things that your people have. If they go for the things that your people have gone for and they pollute like you do, then nobody in this world stands a chance against uh, reducing or mitigating this climate action. Africa is holding the keys. So Africa also needs to benefit in a substantial way. So it's clear that solar energy is closely tied to development here at all sorts of levels. 
Makaka told us that the Garissa's big solar power plant is also a key part of the Kenyan government's national development plans. But what role will it really play? To dig a bit deeper, I turn to Ulish Almahansen from the Technical University of Denmark. As part of his research into the renewable energy transition in developing countries, he has studied the Garissa solar power project. When you look at uh, what else is there to it, right? Is it so that uh, you could say what degree of local content was what part of this? To what extent did, did uh, knowledge actually uh, became exchanged? To what extent did local companies actually engage in this project and so on? And there I would say that what, what, what our research is pointing at is that these... Uh, these elements uh, were relatively modest in the sense that, uh, you know, the amount of labor, local labor, uh, the amount of local content, the amount of uh, technology uh, knowledge, uh, capabilities uh, uh, were at the lower end of the continuum of uh, those three dimensions. That's basically what we have what we have found in other projects. It could it, it looks different there could be a higher amount uh, along along those three dimensions but this, in this particular project we did not see very much local content uh, local labor uh, transfer of knowledge a tanky package is a project in which the contractor takes on everything from the design to the supply of materials and the construction when it comes to the chinese and their drive to invest overseas via the belt and road initiative tanky projects usually include the finance too. For Hansen, the problem with this type of investment is that while Kenya now has the hardware it wants, it hasn't gained much else out of the collaboration. The Kenyan government would argue against this, of course, according to those involved in this project, 600 local people were employed in the construction process and the Chinese company trained up 50 Kenyan technicians. Hansen emphasizes that it's not just Chinese investment that follows this pattern. Western projects are often the same. But it doesn't always have to be this way. There are examples from other African countries like Benin where governments have set strict down strict where governments have set down a strict condition for Chinese and other foreign investment resulting in more local employment and better transfer of skill. Hansen also thinks that there's a lot of potential for Kenya to benefit in a more rounded way from this kind of investment. Hansen doesn't think it makes much sense for a country like Kenya to try to compete with China when it comes to the manufacturers of solar cells. But the skills already developed here, most mostly thanks to the ones that the use of smaller solar systems could, with the stimulus provided by projects like Garissa, become their own driver of economic development. So there's a lot of potential and hope for Kenya, but this is something hard to see in places like Raya Village. For the residents there, for the residents there, it's clear that more needs to be done to make these transitions Kenya's going through just and equitable. Here's a local farmer, Haru's Nunu. When we heard about this project, we first ensured that we gave out enough land and we expected a lot from them, like over 100 jobs created and helped us in our farms, opened up road from Garissa, and everyone to get paid for giving out his plot. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. That is all we had for you today. This feature was produced by Wesley Langat, a Kenyan environmental journalist. I will see you in two weeks' time, so then we will continue with our biodiversity series. In the meantime, do feel free to listen to all other podcasts that we actually have. There are so many that we actually have, and you can access them through Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Podcast, and every other podcast channel you access your other podcast from. Also, do not forget that you can listen to them via our website to all our podcasts that we have produced over the last two years, three, almost three years actually, um, that we have produced them and they are available on www.africaclimateconversations.com and you can also click to www.africaclimatenews.com. Do remember to share and also do remember that you can talk to us, you can email us and tell us what you want to listen to and also if you want to collaborate please let us know via email info at africaclimateconversations.com so i will see you in two weeks time koheri for now my name is sophie mbogwa africa climate conversations